Good morning. Uh, what a privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, thank you for the introduction, as I say, Simon. Uh, there's no two ways about it. I was hoping for a strong introduction, but I'm going to talk about sin today. <laughs> uh, but I, you can see I'm saying with a, a big grin on my face because uh, this ends up being really good news. Uh, we're going to uh, carry on, as you can tell. I'm in shorts and t-shirt. We're still in the uh, summer from a preaching perspective. We're still on our summer series where we've been looking at outrageous worship, where we've been taking a psalm and looking at that whole topic that was sparked by a prophecy by Julian Adams. So I get to look at outrageous worship when we mess up, and we're going to be focusing on Psalm 51, which would be a lot of fun, I think. So just so you know where I'm going to go, I'm going to do maybe more extended introduction um, and just set the scene a little bit. And then we will, I promise you, get to Psalm 51 and and maybe have a reflection on that. For me, Psalm 51 is just about a really healthy way to handle sin. Primarily talking to Christians today, hey, but let's face it, it applies to to all of us. That's kind of where I'm going. But sin, let's get it straight, from the beginning, is a mess, right? We know this. From If we look at the standard... God has set out for us from Matthew 5, the standard is set, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I just need to check that this sermon is applicable to, you know, a number here. Uh, I I sin from time to time. Is there anyone else here that sins? Can I just, uh, okay. Uh, Those that haven't put their hands up, it says in 1 John, actually, you're a liar if you claim to be (laughs) without sin. So we'll start there. But let's go right actually from the New Testament, and then we'll go back. So Romans 3, uh, 23, if we can get uh, that, uh, that verse up. We know this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I didn't really want to spend a long time defining sin. I just kind of summarized it as Sin is rubbish. And there are verses that talk about, you know, obviously not murdering, not committing adultery, all those kind of things. But then there's verses about saying, don't be disobedient to your parents, uh, for example. (laughs) Lovers of money. The list is quite long. But if you kind of bring it back to its core, it's actually rebellion to God. Selfishness. Even if you're not a Christian here today, I'm sure you'd say selfishness is kind of the epidemic that's just ruining our world, right? Relationships, the environment, dare I say the politics, um, personal well-being. Sin kind of comes to the heart of rebellion and selfishness. And what a mess. I don't know if you notice, there's quite a small print there, but that verse there finishes not with a full stop, but with a comma. And this is the good news that we get to look at today. So verse 24, it says, well, justified, we have that next bit up, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I know there's a lot of rich words in there, so I can't spend time on those, but justified is being declared not guilty, to be redeemed is to be set free. It's to have your debt paid. This little word propitiation, I kind of got stuck on this when I've been pausing on this because um, we'll come back to it later on. But maybe if I could speak as a, as a parent, you know, the, the situation, maybe your, your child um, 
does something wrong and you go through this whole saying sorry kind of um i was going to say charade that's not quite no hopefully it's <laughs> authentic sorry and you go through forgiveness and your child is sorted at the right they're off right and they're, they're happy we're, we're resolved and you've kind of gone through that fixing uh, the sin situation but as a parent this may just be me but sometimes I'm still there, kind of a little bit uptight inside. Maybe fuming uh, would be a more accurate. Sometimes it's really, you've really got me there. You've really niggled me there. And it'll take me a while to kind of calm down from that. And I do wonder if we want to think our Heavenly Father is sometimes like that when we mess up. But propitiation, that word there, is the turning away of God's wrath. Not only is it the declaration that we are free and that we're not guilty, it is actually being able to come to our Heavenly Father and he's not there still simmering from what we've done. That turning away of the anger, that frustration, has gone where? It's by his blood, Jesus Christ. So, again, we could do probably a, a whole series of sermons, but the death of Jesus is our substitute. That is good news. He has taken that sin. He has taken that wrath. It's not just... Uh, put under the the rug as it were so for all of us christian non-christian how do we take hold of that we receive it by faith and we're just going to explore that a little bit more today it's that joyful step of humbling ourselves acknowledging our mess and uh, with joy delight should we say even relief accept all that he's done for us so that's great if you're not a christian it'd be a privilege to be able to explain that a bit more to you. To Christians, we've accepted that. We worship Jesus for that. It is good news. But what happens then when you sin? Maybe tomorrow, the day after, you probably won't, well, it's probably every day. How do you deal with sin? So, again, this may be portraying what goes on in me. Sometimes it's guilt, right? And I beat myself up about it because I've failed at that thing again and i feel guilty and then i remember romans 8 there's no condemnation for those who are in christ and so i feel guilty because i'm feeling guilty <laughs> as well um, i've discovered a new class of things sins recently not just things that i've done wrong uh, but god's actually been challenging me on things that i've not done that i thought i should have done as well it's been challenging me on the guilt that i had there and this uh, psalm has been really powerful on that so sins of commission things you've done sins of omission things we haven't done you know, do you beat yourself up about that do you beat yourself up do you have guilt for that on the other hand maybe as a christian with sin do you ignore it you kind of try and just sweep it under the carpet and uh, try and bury it. Yeah, okay, uh, it's okay. I, I, I am not under condemnation. Do you deal it with it like that? But it's still there and it still bubbles up in quite ugly ways in our life. So how do you handle it? So neither are correct or healthy. And what I'm hoping is with Psalm 51, I said it's an extended introduction, it will help us process that. So... Turn into Psalm 51. Let's set the scene for that. Um, all the other guys preaching and tried to set the context for the psalm. It's really clear on Psalm 51. It says right at the top, this comes from when David sinned, right? So we turn to this amazing man, King David. He's the man that brought in the golden age in Israel's history. Series on outrageous worship. We turn to what King David wrote, his amazing psalms. What a passionate man. 
faith. What an amazing example turns up with five stones to kill a giant. He's described as a man after God's own heart. And certainly someone as an example for me of the intimacy of the, the Father that I really long for. But oh my word, this guy sinned. <laughs> he, he sinned bad. If you're ranking sinners, he's got to be somewhere near the top, right? So this is from 2 Samuel 11. I won't read it. But David kind of works his way through an alarming list of sin. So it starts off, you know, the, it says when, when people normally, kings normally go out to war and he's sat at home. So you've got this kind of idleness thing. Everyone else is off to war. You've got, then he sees a woman in the bath. He's got this voyeurism aspect to it. My word. And then you know, abuses his authority as a king, brings her into his house, whilst her husband is at war, commits adultery, gets her pregnant. It's kind of this spiral of sin. And then, well, hey, he tries to cover it up, that instinct of sin to try and hide stuff. So he brings her husband back from war, hopes that maybe they'll kind of get together and then he kind of has a, a way out there. No, that guy's way too honourable. So he sends him back to war to get killed. Oh, my word, he then marries the woman and then he still tries to hide his sin. He doesn't own up until he's found out by the prophet Nathan. Lord. But Nathan says, astonishingly, listen to this. This is from 2 Samuel 12. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Can we have verse 25 up as well? I wonder if that's what Paul was thinking as he said, this is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. He was able to pass over formal sin, the, the former sins. So we're ready to turn to Psalm 51. I don't know how you work with truth or seeing something in black and white like on the screens for me the psalms have really been quite powerful as taking objective truth and bring it together and just bringing it to life like a painting or obviously like a song they are songs but it really helps me take an objective truth and really connect with it and the same was for david right this the objective truth we saw is that God passed over his sins. And Psalm 51 is the processing of that. It's the working out of that truth. So let's have a look. Psalm 51. I do need to get a slightly more portable Bible. But it's awesome. Psalm 51. Let's read through it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Amazing. So I think Psalm 51 is a healthy handling of sin. It's not kind of ignoring it, it's not putting it under the carpet, but it's not all woe is me either. It's actually quite amazing. So I think the challenge to us is actually go and do some homework after this and have a go putting it in writing or whatever way you express these things. Take some time, you know, if God's kind of put a burden on your heart, yeah, I need to sort that mess out. Take some time to do it. I had a go. Uh, slightly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I'm going to read this out to you um, and see if I just, I just, uh, I'm a bit nervous when I talk about sin, right? I'll be honest because the examples, and I have plenty of them. I'm just hoping they resonate with you, and they're not just the kind of things that I think in my own private thoughts. But anyway, disclaimer aside, this is what I put together, slightly tongue-in-cheek. Oh God, please don't look at me. I'm too scared to come to you just now. I've done something really horrible and I can't even admit it to myself. This is really close to my heart. Give me a couple of weeks where I'll beat myself up a bit and then I'll crawl in through the back door after that time is up. I feel particularly rubbish just now. I counted. It's the tenth time I've failed at this. Give up on me. Oh God, make your displeasure obvious. Scold me. Be angry at me. And I'll promise not to tell anyone I'm a Christian. (laughs) It would reflect so badly on you. So tongue-in-cheek, I actually took Psalm 51 and kind of tried to turn it on its head and realised how close it was to my own kind of (laughs) emotions. It was a bit alarming. Uh, But hopefully some of those sentiments uh, you can recognise in yourself a little bit as well. So I guess I just wanted to make the point. This isn't just emotional processing It's emotionally connecting with truth, and I've said that, and I underline that again and again. Let's stick with the biblical version. I'm going to call out three themes. We can't get into this in too much detail, but these are my reflections, really around uh, confession, around cleansing, and around restoration. So we'll go straight in with confession, because I wonder what happens to you when you sin. Again, this is as Christians in a church where we teach on grace. Do you still go and hide? What we see, uh, if we move on to the next slide, uh, we see David goes to God. We see, I think it was Paul last week, he used the phrase humility and confidence. And we see that again here. We see an amazing humility. He's got nothing to prove. But we see the confidence of going straight to Almighty God. So on the humility side, we're seeing that frank admission of guilt. He's getting it all out. 
Verse 3, my sin is ever before me. He did try and hide it, right? We know that. But yeah, he's, he tried to avoid it. He's now getting it all out. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. It's not to deny the impact that sin has on other people. We recognize and it causes that primary barrier first with God. Fix this, you fix everything else. Maybe verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity. Just again, stars, I have nothing. It's come to that base level. But I was blown away by the confidence as well. He knows that's his situation. What mess. Verse 1, right from the start, he remembers who God is. We have phrases like steadfast love. Today, in the worship, it's faithfulness. He's got phrases like abundant mercy. That's amazing. So where do you go when you mess up? Do you hide? Do you do what maybe I just admitted to do and disappear for a couple of weeks? I've messed up. Or do you go actually humbly? but with massive confidence to the presence of God to get sorted. Hebrews 4, uh, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We swallow our pride. We head to God with humility and with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Again, it's just displaying more about who his character is. But I, I want to move on from confession. We don't just stop there. It's not just kind of clearing the air. We move on to cleansing. We don't want to stop just at the confession space. This psalm is dominated with words that involve making clean and pure I don't know about you. For me, even just reading this psalm makes me feel cleaner inside. I think it's amazing. But look at these words. Some words that first express mercy. Mercy obviously been not getting what I deserve. We've got right from verse 1, blot out my sins. I guess the younger lot that use word processors won't really know what blotting out. We used to use Tipex when I was at school. You know, do you remember that? And you kind of colour over with white. It's gone, right? Before that, blotting out, sucking out the ink. It's gone. It's removing. It's quite an interesting. He's blotting out my sins. Actually, what he deserved to have is that he was blotted out the book of life. The bold request is, don't take me out your book. Blot out my sins instead. And we have the same here. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins. What's the deserved response? would be that God would hide his face from David. But no Hide your face from my sins. He asked for the face, the favour of God, that God would turn away from his sins. Do you have that confidence? It's gone. It's removed. I do wonder, you know, is there a voice saying, but you don't know what I've done. And I hope that this psalm is really encouraging in that regard. Because honestly, is it worse than what David did? And I really hope not, by way of example. But... David was able to go and ask for that to be blotted out. We surely can as well. Let's, we've got to keep moving through quickly. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Again, you know, as Christians, how does this work? We're justified, aren't we? And we sing about being a child of God. We 
talk about being made right with God, but how does that look on a daily basis? It's one of my heroes, Piper. He says, well, Christ has purchased our forgiveness. He has paid the full price for it. But this does not replace our asking. It is the basis of our asking. I wish I could put stuff so succinct as that. It does not replace our asking. It is the basis of our asking. So we can come knowing that he has justified us and therefore knowing we can come and give him the sin again and again on a daily basis. I don't know if this picture is helpful for you. It is for me. From John 13, there's the the scenario um, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I remember, you know, washed all their feet. And then he has a little bit of an altercation uh, with Peter. Is kind of what Peter does. Um, And he says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says the following, and I, I, I find it as a helpful picture for me. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. So I don't know about you, you know, if you've had your, your bath or whatever else, and then, I don't know, the kids go out into the garden and they just get dirty feet, and sometimes you just need to dust those down. It's a really good picture for us that we are clean. He says, you are clean. He goes and uses that picture of washing their feet. And I like that because it's, it's also broader than us just messing up. It's sometimes it's just the mess of the world gets on us as well. So when we come to Psalm 51, it says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. As a Christian, you are clean, but you sometimes need to wash your feet. And I find that really helpful. One John 1 puts it explicitly for us as well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's your daily confession. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you see, I, I'm quite pumped about this, quite like this, but that for me is not even the climax. Often with the, the Psalms and the kind of Jewish writing, the climax, the, the kind of focus of the writing is right in the middle. And so from verses 7 uh, through to that paragraph, this is, I, I think, the focus of the Psalm. We have a picture of a, uh, of a plant on there. That's, that's hyssop. Uh, so purge me, with hyssop. purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow and I don't know about you sometimes taking like a physical action of some sort can help you appreciate the spiritual reality so we we did uh, freedom in Christ uh, with our group and when we were writing down uh, people to forgive helpful to tear that up afterwards screw it up and so when you've left and they kind of that unforgiveness attempts to come back in. No, you know what? I've parked that. I've left that behind. It's exactly what's going on with this little bunch of branches here. Hyssop was used in ceremonial cleansing for the Jew. They would sprinkle blood on a house that had disease, and it would be declared clean after that. And he's using that picture. He goes on to say, create me a, a clean heart as a kind of physical picture or expression of something that's going on inside i dug into this hyssop thing i just found it quite interesting it doesn't appear loads in the bible there's a couple of times in leviticus numbers as part of that ceremonial side of things but there's only two other places one was exodus 12 before the passover 
was used to paint the lintels with blood right at the heart of uh, Israel's story, redemption. Honestly, the one that blew me away, New Testament, John 19, Jesus on the cross, asked for a drink. What's used to provide the drink? It's a branch of hyssop. Sin is purged. David didn't have the full picture there. We do. When we say it's purged, it's because he's taken that from us as well. So stick that little picture up there as a reminder. He's taken that. We are washed whiter than snow because Jesus has taken that on himself. I need to move on. There is so much more we could say. But the cleaning is complete, isn't it? Let's just receive that. It is absolute. His job was so perfect. And he died on that cross for us. And he took that. Do we stop there? And our journey, confession, cleansing. We don't, because I told you that there was a third point. Surely I daren't ask for more than that. But he goes on to restoration as well. I used the example earlier as a, a parent still fuming about the the sorry forgive thing with their child. Again, I, I don't know how, how many people this applies to, but you, you'll surely appreciate a little being a little bit uptight when you, your kid has done the same thing uh, again. Okay, I need to deal with this. But what's your picture of God? Is He like that? We've said sorry. I know I'm forgiven. But is there a little bit of God having his arms folded, just a tad cross at you? So I don't know, do you do the same as me? I know we've had the prodigal son preached on endless times. But do you still occasionally respond, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we know the father's awesome response as complete reinstatement in the family which is amazing. And again, that's propitiation that I went to earlier. That is amazing. So the goal of God in this whole kind of working through our sin is complete restoration. It's complete restoration of relationship. And that's awesome. So we can go through these verses. I don't know how David knew to write them in the Old Testament, if I'm honest, because they're so New Testament in style. But verse 11, cast me not from your presence. He's messed up big time and he dives straight back into the presence of God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Amazing Old Testament kind of foresight of the role of the Holy Spirit bringing God's presence. Do you get filled with the Holy Spirit after you've messed up? Amazing. But the highlight, verses 8. And verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Joy? Have you forgotten what I said a few minutes ago, what David did? Adultery. Murder. And he expects to be joyful off the back of that. Is that not... A step too far. Okay, confession. Let's get it sorted. Maybe cleansing. But joy? That's not fair. How insensitive is that to those he's devastated? He's just got off scot 
free. That's the scandal. That's a scandal. Yeah, nod. That's outrageous. That is offensive. But for me, maybe more than anything else, joy highlights the scandal of grace. Do you expect to step right back into joy in your salvation after you have messed up? Do you? If not, you're looking to make up for a gap in God's grace. If not, that's outrageous. I'll pay for this bit. I'll mope around a bit longer. No, we are called to step back in to the joy of our salvation. And of course, it only makes sense when we look to the cross on which Jesus died. We get off scot-free. Why? Because he took our guilt. It is unfair. That's grace. That's mercy. He's made it fair by paying our debts. That is amazing. And so they get to this kind of pinnacle of joy. And for me, it's like a link, like a a virtuous circle, right? It's like a a bottle of champagne where you take the cork out. Everything good that we've looked at so far is the champagne in a bottle. But when we look at joy, it's like it it kind of unravels everything else. Everything you've needed to confess, all the hurt, maybe there's unforgiveness, there's whatever it is. Have you tried holding on to guilt whilst you're full of joy? Have you tried holding on to unforgiveness when the Holy Spirit starts kind of stirring in you? You have to let it go. And it's actually part of enacting the rest of it. And there's a ton of humility in it, right? Uh, Verse 17 talks about a broken and contrite heart. But that joy is kind of the, the, the kind of clincher of a restored relationship. That is outrageous worship. The other things that um, that we notice from this passage after saying the joy of my salvation, he says, verse 13, teach, you know, I'll teach sinners your ways. I messed up, but look what he's done for me. We get to go and with humility say, wow, he set me free. Look at the smile on my face. Verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. I'm blessed. I've had my debts forgiven. So joy is really letting go. Um, my family, my life group probably know this, but there's a funny expression in me when, even on Thursday, it's like, God, fill me with your joy. And I start crying. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what, what goes on in me. But again, it's just <laughs> other people that maybe can empathize with that as well. But joy, it kind of just lets all those other emotions sort themselves out as well, doesn't it? When we look at the scripture, verse 12, so we've got verse 11, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Verse 12 also is like the flip side of that. Uphold me with a willing spirit as well. Joy, willing spirit, they fit together. If you're kind of fighting habitual sin, whatever it is, try doing that without joy, without doing, without, without this kind of restoration. It's a guilt-laden drudge. If you get stuff sorted, you get fully restored, you get fully filled with joy, you're upheld with a winning spirit as well. Praise God. Uh, I'm just going to pause because um, I want to pray and then we'll bring it to a close. I want to pray, Lord, because you're the the one that brings joy ultimately. You're the one that can really do uh, this work that we're, we're talking about and yeah, just as we're here together, I just pray that hearts just kind of humbly 
but with confidence just give you the rubbish that they're carrying. I pray we'd be a people that know what it is to, to be restored so completely, to be filled with the joy of our salvation. And we would be a people that go out and tell sinners your ways because we've been saved, we've been set free. I want to move forward to just the last bit on the slide if you want to go forward to, to the picture. If you need one last encouragement, and again, you want to know how good God is at restoration? Can you press the next bit? Yeah, you can't see that. That is the genealogy of Jesus. The shocking sin, the situation we've been talking about today when David messed up, finds its way into Jesus' genealogy. Our God can take the worst of sins, the worst of mess-ups, and somehow turn into salvation for the world. Right, that is how good our God is. And I want to finish there, right? Whatever your situation is, God can turn it round for the salvation of the world.